episode of A Pair of Bookends is sponsored by Dear Green Reads. They create handmade book sleeves and gift boxes for all your bookish needs. They also support small independent businesses and designers by working in collaboration with them. The Power of Bookends, the book club you can carry anywhere. We are your hosts and hopefully your new bookish pals. I'm Hannah MacDonald and I'm Lydia Clare. This month's book club episode is dedicated to Heartstopper, the perfect read for Pride Month. Heartstopper is a young adult graphic novel, a coming-of-age love story between grammar school students Charlie and Nick. Written and illustrated by Alice Osman, author of four young adult novels, as well as this outstanding Heartstopper series, which began online as a webcomic. Heartstopper has also been recently adapted into a hugely popular Netflix series to critical and public acclaim. Well, before we get started, let me introduce you to a wonderful friend of mine and our very first in real life guest. Emma Hines is a playwright and novelist currently living in Manchester. Emma is a fierce advocate for women's stories, queer stories and mental health, which is all reflected in her work exploring untold feminist narratives. Her latest play, Pure, was featured in Turn On Festival at Hope Mill Theatre. Emma's most recent book, Ineffable Love, Christian Themes in Good Omens, was published by Darton Longman Todd. Her debut novel is an exploration of female trauma in the vivid and cruel world of the Victorian freak show, and one we cannot wait to get our hands on. Emma, welcome to A Pair of Bookends. That was such a good introduction. I feel like I should just carry you around in my pocket and whenever I have to introduce myself at social situations, have a Hannah pop out. I love that. Yeah. I've, I've told you. How you manage your PR person, please. Yeah. <laughs> um, so Emma, important question. What are you currently reading? Um, so I am one of these people, one of these dreadful people who I don't read ongoing as such unless it's for like research for work what i do is i sit down and just like a devour a book and then i kind of move on so i don't um, think that's dreadful i actually no. think that's amazing <laughs> um it like can be efficient. yeah, yeah. <laughs> um uh but the book i have most recently read which was a, a short novella that just really kind of blew my mind and did like an excellent job of really getting into the female psyche um, was called Weird Fucks by Lynn Tillman. I really want to oh, read that. Yeah. That's on my TBR. It's it's really good, um, and I really enjoy the way she handles a present tense narrative, which is something that I'm looking at at the moment a lot in my ranching. So yeah, is is that at your house? It is at my house. <laughs> Do you want me to bring it <laughs> to I, your house? Yeah, I would like that very much. Oh, yeah. Sharking after books. <laughs> <laughs> um, also, Lydia, what are you currently oh, reading? Oh, yeah, oh, don't forget about me now. We've got a guest on. <laughs> <laughs> no, um, I'm currently reading um, The Black Flamingo by Dean Atter, which is, oh. yeah, it's amazing. Um, and it is basically, it's, it's sort of like graphic novel-y almost because it's got loads of illustrations in it and it's just it's a YA novel and it's about a a young uh, mixed race guy coming out and about his experiences coming out and then he's kind of foray into drag and what that means to him and it's so interesting honestly I was like I've been putting it off for ages it's been on my TBR for ages I bought it for the cover yeah the, the cover is really nice because the cover is gorgeous but I was like I'm gonna read that and I thought I need something like I didn't... sorry did you say 
just foray into, into drag. drag. Yeah. That's a bit of you, isn't it? Yeah, it's a bit of me. But it's oh. also like anything by Dianata is great to read for Pride Month because something he does really well is like really strong representative stories for young people. Yeah, um, yeah. Like great queer stories. So yeah, Dianata is definitely like, if we're talking about kind of Heartstopper and YA and uh, queer YA stories, like Dianata is probably one of the biggest names out there at the moment kind of doing that kind of thing. So. Yeah, it's just, it's honestly, it is, it's so refreshing to read something just so unapologetically itself. And yeah, no, I'm loving it. I'm just going to give a quick disclaimer to our listeners. Um, if you can hear ice or drinking at any <laughs> point, <laughs> it's because we are having to record this with the fan off. We are in the hot. And the window short. <laughs> it's so hot. We're in the hot. <laughs> Honestly. You know, we, we thought we'd get our first guests on and boil them alive. That's yeah. what we're going for, really. Basically, it's like putting a lobster in a pot and just, like, waiting. <laughs> Emma's never going to do this again, which is unfortunate because when her book comes out, we absolutely yeah, want to do it as a book back, club episode. Yeah. <laughs> you know, as long as there's iced coffee like there is today, then I'll be there. I don't have any problems. We, you know. we will always prefer doing it. Yeah. <laughs> Hannah, what have you got on your uh, on your bookshelf? Um, on my, I've got a lot on my bookshelf. Well, mm. um, but uh, I've currently, well, I've literally just started uh, Veronica by Mary Gatskill, oh. um, which I'm not really going to touch on because um, mm-hmm. it's going to be spoken about in greater depth on an upcoming episode with a very exciting guest so uh, yeah I've just started that should we we just get chatting should we just get chatting about Heartstopper yeah let's Let's do that that. talk about Heartstopper okay so I am very new to Heartstopper I only recently read it for the podcast but it is a graphic novel it's actually my first time reading a graphic novel is it yeah I'm gonna guess by that response that it's not your first time reading a graphic novel Mm. no not your first time no like yeah. um it's in your I first radio novels. yeah <laughs> no it's not my first radio yeah <laughs> but i really enjoyed it i really wasn't sure what i was going to make of mm-hmm. of reading a graphic novel i don't know if that makes me sound a bit snobbish like but i just i really didn't know what to expect and actually it was amazing i read volume one and volume two back to back in the space of like an hour me too just i read fully through it and it's so wholesome it's just beautiful and the illustrations are gorgeous and it's just like a perfect kind of romance book and a perfect like queer story i don't know it just it felt like a hug in a book oh, i love that <laughs> yeah. and the adaptation felt very similar in that it felt very wholesome and that whole kind of feeling of, of first love and the excitement mm-hmm. of it but then also being really important and you know it educated me a lot and just a really great recommendation for prime month altogether emma you are a patron yes of- i first came to find out about alice from reading web comics about three or four years ago and were the this- web comics heartstopper or is yes this- it okay. was heartstopper heartstopper was i think is her only one that has been a webcomic first so alice is um really interesting and inspirational in the sense that their career is um they've been writing ya novels for a while and successfully like they are they're great books um but then she had they had this one thing that just kind of blew up which was heartstopper mm-hmm. in the sense that um web comics can do that nowadays um so i yeah i'm a patron of hers on patreon which is a great site i have my own patreon as well so if you if you fancy checking that out check me out on instagram 
Um, we will um, attach links to both Emma's and Alice's Patreon in yeah. the show notes. And yeah, so I have been following along with the story for a really long time now, which is so much fun. And the great thing about being somebody's patron on these websites is that you get to kind of see the updates. So like many of the other patrons, I knew that the Netflix stuff was coming a long time before anybody else did, really, yeah. because they, they let us know in advance. Um, and that was just so cool to see that kind of flourishing happen. But yeah, definitely if you enjoy Heartstopper, then um, I think you will absolutely enjoy her other work as well. She's got a very specific tone. And her debut novel was Solitaire. Yeah. And that's how the story of Heartstopper came about, isn't it? You can read all of them standalone, which okay. is one of the great things about it. But some of them do interconnect. So like uh, Solitaire is about Tori Spring, who is, you find out in Heartstopper, Charlie's big sister. And Radio Silence is about Alad, who in Heartstopper is one of Charlie's best friends. Um, Winter is a short novella which fits kind of in between the pages of the Heartstopper. So there's um, a very difficult winter for Charlie in the Heartstopper series. And Winter is a novella written about that winter. So it kind of goes deeper into the pages. And then Nick and Charlie is a novella that is written after Heartstopper when they're a bit older. Um, We're going to have to read that. We're both like, there's more. Yeah, so um, everything kind of fits together. And uh, so some of them are in universe and some of them are are not. And something Alice does really well is just deals with difficult things. Um, What she does that I think most people find so compelling is that they're just stories about real people who happen to be queer. Mm. Yeah. Rather than like a specifically big deal about queerness in the sense that perhaps we're used to seeing a big deal being made about queerness on TV. So I I think that's one of the reasons that people enjoy them so much. Mm. And she's also just incredibly funny. Mm. And also got her first publishing deal at 17. Yes. Which is just insane. (laughs) Um, Why do you think she's had so much success and so quickly and from such a young age Mm. as well? She has a real ability to capture a teenage tone and she doesn't talk down to teenagers. And I think that's something that a lot of people do. And sometimes even YA authors do is that they talk down to the young people that they're writing for. But it's something that she never does. And she's just really truthful and reflective and I think also she just writes characters that you adore yeah like if you get around to reading solitaire like she just writes such adorable characters and I think that's something that YA generally does quite well across the board is people just fall in love with the characters like mm. you know people have gone so mad for red white and royal blue yeah you know they just completely fell in love with the characters which has been adapted oh I wish is it adaptation oh my yes. goodness <laughs> can you imagine <laughs> that will be so popular but yeah, just like she does a really good job of that. I think, feel like she writes all of her characters with so much empathy. You can just you can just see it. You can see what they're trying to do in that kind of making you empathise with people and making you realise how important these stories are to listen to, to, to read and to share. I loved, absolutely loved reading them. I think something that Alice does as well, really well, is, um, and I remember when I first like finished reading Heartstopper, I messaged Alice on Patreon, actually. And basically, at the time I was working in school, with teenagers particularly working with like this to do with mental health and queerness and I just basically <laughs> fangirled at her on Patreon being like oh my god this is so good I'm buying this for all of the teenagers I work with because you are doing such a good job of portraying mental health in a real way yeah. for them to engage with and feel connected with and like bisexuality and biphobia and transphobia and mm-hmm. how they can manage these sort of things and it's just so good for people of, of that age yeah I, I, was, I was thinking when I was 
reading it like it should definitely be in schools mm. yeah um, I think it'd be really powerful if, if it was brought into schools and I think it although it does tackle the issues with bullying and homophobia mm. and all that kind of stuff I do feel like it whilst tackling those subjects it does show a positive kind of representation of being a queer person mm-hmm. and mm-hmm. I mean I'm not speaking as a queer person so I could be wrong but I felt like it had a positive representation of their relationship and especially the way Charlie's family are just kind of it's a non-issue for them mm-hmm. that he's mm-hmm. gay and the way Nick's mum is perfect oh, casting by the way as Olivia Coleman perfect, perfect casting um, the way she reacts to him coming out is so beautifully done and I feel like you know those are positive coming out stories and Charlie's whole friendship group as well like they're really positive and supportive with each other there's a real push now for more queer happy endings basically yeah yeah is what we're seeing so people like Dean Atta people like oh my goodness who wrote Red White and Royal Boo Casey McKiston who also did what also one last stop which is um yes yeah I've heard lots of things about which that. is good and Benjamin Alois Sanzez who wrote Aristotle and Dante discover the secrets of the universe yeah these are all like big YA authors who are giving happy endings mm. in yeah. like a culture that doesn't always give that to queer people and I know that for a lot of people in my community that's that's so important and it feels important for me like personally watching it on the big screen for me the best thing was like bisexual representation because that's yeah. really important to me and it was just really powerful to see that kind of representation I kept thinking like what a difference it would have made to me if I had seen it when I was 16 yeah, you know, yeah. would I have been able to come out earlier like maybe yeah you know that kind of yeah. like positive representation well I was saying to Hannah about when we were reading it and I said like imagine if we'd had this mm-hmm. when we were at school mm-hmm. <laughs> I was like I don't remember any book when I was in high school that had that kind of representation in it I think like that I really didn't come across yeah it. I, I think think the thing is more about like mainstream because obviously there have been like yeah so many writers writing queer for so long mm, but mm. like um but not in the mainstream yeah, but, yeah. and yeah. i think there's also something about the fact that it is so joyful in tone even though it tackles really difficult things particularly in like the, the later volumes have to do with mental health it's still really really joyful for me like as a queer person reading growing up queer narratives that i read they they weren't always as joyful you know mm, like yeah. you find and it's something that we talk about that gets talked about is uh, the, like the bury your gaze trope mm. in like TV and film particularly which is that the only time you see queer people on screen is when somebody's dying particularly right. It mainly references as a trope the AIDS crisis and how yeah. queer, for a long time, the only time you saw queer people wearing representatives that they were on screen and they were dying of AIDS. Yeah. Right up there, that is not to say that there is not incredible representational TV made about the AIDS crisis, yeah. like Angels in America. Oh my goodness, recently. It's a sin. It's, it's a sin. sin. Yeah. yeah, you know, great TV. But there was that lack of diversity in sort of the stories mm. being told. And I think now we're seeing like, hopefully, a more rounded diversity because, you know, queer people are whole people. So we, yeah. we want to have see our tragedies represented you know we want i want to see tragic stories because life can be tragic but i also want to see like happy stories it's just about that round well-rounded yeah diversity for the future hopefully absolutely so that just links into one of my questions for you in what ways do you feel the sharing of lgbtqia plus stories have evolved and do you feel that these stories are being received well by audiences now i mean they seem to be and i'm i'm hopeful for the future (laughs) in the past we're narratives have been sometimes coded you know Mm -hmm. so my husband (laughs) 
talks a lot about Moby Dick because he teaches like classical literature and stuff and um, he's like it's so gay it's like the gayest story ever told <laughs> and it and it is but there is a level of like coding in that that mm. like if it's taught in school the queer aspects of it are not usually taught like there's a lot of huge tremendous amount of queerness in Shakespeare yeah. but that aspect of it is not really taught very much yeah. you know the picture of Dorian Gray massively queer Orlando by Sylvia Plath massively queer but like yeah there's a coding that was there for a long time that I hope now like we see more overt stories for a long time i cannot imagine that you could walk into like the romance section at waterstones and expect to see alongside like a boy girl romance a girl girl romance or a mm -hmm. they them mm -hmm. her romance and now i feel like you could yeah um, yeah you could see that like more diversity and i think the spaces where that diversity needs to happen is kind of in things like big bucket romance and mm. big bucket thr thrillers and stuff because literary fiction does tend to explore queerness more yeah yeah because people think it's more serious but yeah, we yeah. need that like light queer as well as dark heavy queer and introspective queer we need joyful fun beach read queer yeah, yeah. absolutely yeah. i was wondering because i've seen a lot of like debate recently about queer fiction and about like representation in in, mm -hmm. in fiction and about whether or not like what makes a book queer in that sense because a lot of people i've seen online and stuff recently have been debating whether or not you, you, it has to be come from an author who is LGBTQIA+. It has to be written from uh, the perspective of a LGBTQIA plus character. Or is it just that it needs to tackle the issues around being gay or being a lesbian or whatever? To you, what kind of, what would you define as queer fiction? It's really hard mm. um, to make these definitions because, not to get too philosophical about it, but I kind of feel like what we're doing is we're, we're trying to decide who can write what, mm. right? And we're trying to decide what is representation and what is cultural appropriation. Mm -hmm, mm -hmm. And uh, that's kind of an interesting place to be in because part as, as a writer I don't ever want to be told that I can't write a story that I have inside of me you know that would be a really hard place to be in but am I more qualified to write queer fiction because I'm queer I don't I don't really know maybe <laughs> it's sort of it's sort of hard to say I think for me when I look at like what my what are the queer fictions that I really admire and hold on to they are generally queer stories about queer people in life and they are generally written by queer people um, but I don't know if that representation of author matters more to me because I'm a writer for me there's something powerful about seeing someone who's Sarah, like Sarah Waters who is so gay and wonderful and has been writing for so long and has been writing queer stories for so long seeing somebody like that have a career is really inspiring to me because yeah. I'm like I can write stories that feel true to me mm -hmm. and they can find a place in the world Yeah, and also you know like tipping the velvet is like every 15 year old queer <laughs> person yeah <laughs> like, you know if you're into girls or you think you might be into girls read tipping the velvet that's all i'm gonna say um, but is yeah. that sarah waters yeah oh, okay classic wonderful lesbian fiction and you know it's it's interesting because i a part of me is i am so overjoyed that there is like more space for queer voices and that we also making space for queer voices in mm -hmm. a way that hopefully balances a lack of representation that's been happening over the years yeah like that is what we want to do ultimately but i don't want us ever to be in a space where we are kind of shutting down people's stories because of what they may personally or personally not be because yeah. i i worry that that forces 
those people to self-define mm-hmm. before they may be ready yeah absolutely um, and I, I don't I don't think it's fair you know like um, the Heartstopper stuff has been so great and so important but it's it has had like a toxic side online you know with people really pressurizing the guy who plays Nick to come out as bisexual mm. because Nick's bisexual and that's not anyone's business you no, know and no. It, nobody owes anybody a coming out least of all a huge global audience yeah you know? of course so I, I don't want us to ever be in a position where we're kind of pushing writers to self-define before they're ready and before they want to yeah. um, because ultimately if the story is powerful and good then you know yeah we, that's we a should. great point yeah yeah absolutely. how was it for you when you first shared your queer identity within your work i think on the one hand it's relieving um because it's feels like something that doesn't need to be hidden um which is really great um also on the other hand there is um there is that worry about like representation and this sudden feeling that oh my god like i need to represent more people than just myself suddenly Mm -hmm. if i'm queer which i'm not at all qualified to do by the way just heads up (laughs) not even slightly i'm just you know a classic chaotic bisexual writing books like (laughs) i've got no props or leverage to represent in entire swathes of queer people so it it's kind of pros and cons and it's mm. definitely an interesting process mm-hmm. but there is definitely a pressure yeah. i think in both industries that i've been in in, in like theater and in novels and stuff to have like a an identity that people can yeah see and understand more more than ever the truth is that more than more than ever yeah. when you're selling a book you're you're also selling yourself yeah and i think it's a weird thing to navigate as a creative and as an artist that you feel like you've got to like box yourself off as like a marketing tool and mm. um, so you know like often i've been told that i should be selling myself as a working class mm. person and i should be selling that element of myself and i mm. guess it's the same with you know queer people like having to assert that yeah i think i think it's just this tremendous balance because on the one hand yes we want more parts for queer people yeah. and we want to get away from a time when it was literally like it's like that bit in um in if anybody watches brooklyn 99 when <laughs> captain holt is talking about his old captain and when he first came became a police officer the, the captain was like you're black and gay so you should just do all the black and gay stuff right those are the those are the crimes yeah. you should deal with and for a long time in in industries we have seen that right you know Mm -hmm. actors who come out being told well you're gay so we'll just get you gay parts or Mm. you know writers being told oh you write lesbian fiction so you just write for lesbians um and we want to get away from that so we want to expand Mm -hmm. those boundaries but we also don't want to kind of like turn them in on themselves Mm -hmm. so we kind of end up in the same place where people are going well if you're queer you can't play somebody straight right because you're an actor or if you're if you're a queer writer you can't write a book about straight characters it kind of we don't want to get to that place because you know Mm. Like Hannah could write a book, I feel pretty convincingly about queer friendships because she's friends with me (laughs) she's got a ton of queer friends and she has that experience in her life of um being the straight friend in a group of queer friends and like that's a powerful thing and that's a powerful story to tell and i have loads of straight friends and lots of religious friends and i can still write that story even Mm -hmm. if that's not me all the time 100 percent. so yeah yeah. but it is really complicated yeah how it feels right now is it feels complicated but it's, it's just at the, all, at the end of the day seeing the representation having the representation is so powerful mm-hmm. and I hope that we can move forward in a way that like just builds on that helps break down even more barriers we don't get to a point where we're just putting up barriers yeah. that's mm-hmm. what we want from it that's yeah. how we'll know that we're doing it right <laughs>
So, my favourite line from Heartstopper... In the adaptation? From the adaptation. Okay. It's also in the books. Okay, okay. Was when Nick tells his mum and comes out and his mum hugs him and she just says, I'm really sorry if I ever let you think you couldn't tell me that. And I was just, honestly, it made me well up. Yeah. I was like, oh my goodness. Like, to have that kind of level of acceptance from someone, I thought was beautiful. And I was wondering if there was any moments from the adaptation or from the books that really stood out to either of you and what that was. I did actually write down, literally, I wrote down moving moment between Nick and his mother when he tells her in volume two that he's with Charlie. Like, I just, I really thought it was a beautiful moment and um, really, I've said beautiful 700 times, but really beautifully portrayed by Olivia Coleman and by Kit Connor. Between the two of those, you know, it it was a really gorgeous scene and a really positive reaction because I think, as Emma was saying before about there being queer stories being told in a specific way, I think Mm. we've seen a lot of, of stories on screen or on stage where somebody's come out to their family or to their friends and it's it's not been received well you know they've been kind of rejected by their family or by their friends and yes that happens i'm not denying that but it's just really nice to see a positive side to that and i think that's really important you know both of my sisters are gay and you know when they told family members and stuff it was a a, Mm -hmm. they were received positively and you know um i remember my nana saying to i mean my nana is just the most adorable person on the planet anyway (laughs) but she when one of my sisters told her she was like well you're still olivia you're still Mm -hmm. that's you're still you like there's you know there's nothing there's nothing wrong with that like love is love like and and i just thought like my nana is obviously from the old generation where i mean it was illegal yeah exactly you know they come from a time where they were pretty much like rejected from society Mm -hmm. and you know for my nana to just kind of be like well like it's that's fine there's nothing wrong with that you're not i don't see you any any differently you know that's what she's trying to say i don't see you any differently and i think you know it's important that we have those positive representations on screen and in books and stuff because you know maybe that's the kind of boost or the encouragement that um a queer young person might need to see to go okay it's it's that's what i'm feeling is fine it's okay and and the way that you when you watch um nick you know he's asking all these questions on the internet am i gay and a lot of what he's seeing is quite negative Mm -hmm. because you know unfortunately the internet cannot be 100 positive so i think he's going in with this expectation a lot of expectation of well you know i get this reaction at school for all the people that have said they're gay and you know i've got all of this anticipation that my family won't accept me Mm And then the relief on his face. Yeah. I just thought it was so well done. And it wasn't this huge scene. They just sat at the kitchen table. He's made a brew. He sat there with his brew. And he just says it. Yeah. And it was just such a beautiful moment. Like, I hope that if if my son turned around to me and said the same thing, I would be, you know, all right then. Well, where's my brew? You know. (laughs) I think um, something that I really liked about the TV adaption is that how it fleshed out the relationships around Charlie and Nick and really like fleshed out their little community that they have because yeah. one something yeah. that's so delightful about the books is that they're just this little queer community of baby gays which is just like <laughs> any any queer person will tell you that that's just just the most 
precious precious thing like it's just beautiful um so i really enjoyed the the full-on rainbow lesbian kiss at the party in heartstopper <laughs> oh my gosh yes. yeah, the graphics in that yeah. scene i was like yes <laughs> give me more such a it's such a like a pride moment it's this moment where like these two girls are kissing and they don't care and like the act of them kissing mm-hmm. is so powerful for nick yeah. You know, yeah, a bisexual boy standing there watching that is like it's helping him like see himself and understand himself in such a powerful way, and also the way that they portray Elle in um, yeah in yes. the show is so good. Like the best thing about Alice is that that she doesn't make a fuss about the fact that Elle is trans. Yeah, Elle is just Elle. You know, she's she's moved school. She's gone to the girls' school because she had a shit time at the boys' school, understandably. And her friends are just a hundred percent supportive. And mm-hmm. the thing that's so amazing about that story is like their kind of her budding romance Mm -hmm. is just that it's just it's just a budding romance and it's the reasons why she's feeling insecure about it and not to do the fact that she's trans the reason she's feeling insecure about it is because he's her best friend yeah and that's just like (laughs) that's more of a big deal yeah Yeah. and and that's teens for you and they are incredibly resilient in Mm -hmm. so many ways but also so accepting which was my experience kind of working with teenagers for a long time is that like when they've got something then they've got it you know mm-hmm. yeah they accept something they accept it and i just think that that kind of the building of the community in the show was so cute yeah. and it's so beautifully done in the in the comics as well in the in the graphic novel it's just so much fun to read mm-hmm. i've been thinking a lot like i think we can learn so much from younger generations in terms of you know this kind of thing like they can educate us so much and so like you said like they seem to be more accepting of these things yeah i think for that reason though it's really important that like we provide representation where we can we provide representation of our own queer identity so that younger people can see it and can process it and understand it and also feel seen themselves but we also provide like leadership in terms of like allyship mm-hmm. as like for people who are straight like that's just so amazing you mm-hmm. know and, and we do see like i see my friends who are raising kids right now and are raising them in such like a queer positive way even yeah. if they're not queer themselves and i'm like yes that's what we need is we yeah. need like straight people who are saying to their 16 year old oh should we watch Heartstopper together you know, yeah, yeah, let's yeah. sit down and watch it together and then maybe we can talk about it. And getting their cousin a copy of Heartstopper for Christmas, you know, yeah. just like ways that they're slowly opening the world and being like great allies is yeah. is so important. So yeah, we do have a lot to learn. I wanted to ask a question about the start of Heartstopper, Charlie's secret boyfriend, Ben. So I wanted to ask you both, did you feel any kind of empathy for Ben for, you know, being in a society or an environment that kind of makes him feel unable to come out um or do you think his actions were kind of no different to charlie's bullies well i think he was a twat (laughs) yeah i think so is that okay i can i i feel empathy for anyone who is struggling to come out obviously i do because i have struggled to come out but i think it's hard to feel empathy for toxic masculinity yeah do you think though i will say i think is they they do make him into the big bad villain for the tv show yeah yeah whereas in the graphic novel he is very much more of a footnote on charlie's i think yeah i think with the adaptation the what i found very uncomfortable was the the real aggression with which yeah he was played and the 
act of kind of forcing himself upon Charlie. And yeah. for me, that's, yeah, I understand you're in a dark place, you're struggling with y- yourself, but it's it's never, ever acceptable to do that to somebody. And mm-hmm. so I think for me, I was like, yeah, I'm chalking you up as a twat and you stay in one. <laughs> yeah. But I, th- but I, t- I do empathise with, with that feeling of kind of like, of, of feeling trapped and feeling like you need control and, you know, all of these things that he must have been feeling because for starters, this is a kid. This isn't, he's not a grown man. He's struggling in the worst time of your life as a teenager. But to me, I can't excuse that behaviour. Heart-wrenching. Yeah. And you're so yeah. glad when Nick appears yeah. and you're just like, yeah. like yes! <laughs> but, um, hero! Yeah, it's a hero moment. So, yeah, I think I think it's interesting how things hit differently with different people. Um, mm. The thing that I found more in the comics is that I really felt Charlie's emotions in the situation. Mm-hmm. And I guess what you what they try and show you on the TV is they do try and round him out, mm-hmm. Ben. They try and show the complexity of what he might be feeling at that age. Yeah. And yeah, you're totally right. But I think it does what it they're an all boys school and it does bring up questions, I think, mm-hmm. about masculinity. Yeah. That he thinks it's the appropriate way to approach somebody yeah. who is a, a boy. Mm-hmm. That he feels like that's an appropriate interaction. He's sixteen, fifteen, where has he learned that? Like Yeah. 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 I think um Harry as well. Harry's such a little twat. Oh my god, he is. I don't know who's worse. He needs a slap. Probably Ben. No. (laughs) It's it's, I think yeah. I think something that's interesting. Like Harry does have like an art-ish. I think Alice Alice does does a great job in the books of giving him a something. Yeah. So he's not just like something she does really well is nobody's just a write-off villain. Because there are characters who are homophobic, who casually kind of indulge in in stereotyping are mean or just bullies like I think the question for like the Harry question I always come up with is like is he homophobic because he's homophobic or is he a bully because he's a bully you know like would he be picking whatever it was yeah would he be picking on him in any scenario is he that type yeah Yeah. I think there's a question there There he seems like an opportunist yeah Yeah. like I'll, I'll get on anything are we allowed to do like spoilers or are we not allowed oh to yeah no, that's yeah. fine there is a bit like later on in the books where harry essentially like comes to charlie wanting forgiveness to kind of be like i'm sorry i didn't realize like he he basically goes it's just the way i was brought up mm. and charlie's response is basically like do you want a fucking medal um, <laughs> like correct what response. do you want like what do you want for, i'm not going to do this to make you feel good yeah no which i think is totally justified yeah so obviously it's a graphic novel mm-hmm. and the illustrations are beautiful and it kind of blows my mind that alice osman is so talented that so she can yeah. write these beautiful stories but also illustrate and also she's the creator of the adaptation can so. i just have like a little bit of her talent <laughs> just a little <laughs> bit <laughs> but I, I wanted to know how you both felt about the use of animation on screen obviously it's a nod to them being graphic novels but for me i thought they were really oh god i need to find a different word to beautiful <laughs> There's a, every podcast, or every episode that we do, I always seem there's to use. One word. There's one word yeah. that I say a lot, 
and today it's beautiful yeah. so let's go with that let's go with it um but the illustrations were very wholesome i loved how they were they were they felt perfectly placed yeah they weren't all over the place and there were it wasn't every five seconds but when something significant happened when it was there to signify something i thought it was really well done mm-hmm. um and especially you were talking about like the the lesbian kiss pride mm. moment like that was so beautiful and beautiful and it was just made all the more wonderful by those graphics being on screen just you know the flag in the background the colors in the background and i I feel like it gives it that extra layer of creativity and meaning Mm -hmm. um and i was i was actually really pleased that they kept some of that because it still felt like it was this bridge to yeah. the book yeah you know and they're all coded as well mm. so like all the different illustrations are for different characters yeah so yeah like um, i didn't pick up yeah. on that so I if you watch know. it again you'll oh, see that cute. like if with charlie there's always leaves and mm-hmm. with nick there's always birds yeah and, like, i, yeah. I, I clocked the birds yeah. but i didn't know that was specific to the yeah. character yeah. oh that's yeah. really oh gosh i'm gonna have to rewatch now <laughs> yeah, it's that's so beautiful it's so really cute, cute. As, okay, and it follows the graphic novels so it's it's a nice nod for everybody who's been reading and loving yeah, it yeah and then you see it on the end oh my goodness also fun fact if you put heart stopper the word heart stopper into google and press enter little leaves blow across the stop <gasps> yeah oh i love that, that. Like... you watch everyone listening now is like <laughs> yeah i'm gonna be straight on that after this yeah i was doing it last night and i was like Oh, leaves! That should happen. That should happen. That's beautiful. Um, So I'm going to throw a spanner in the works. Oh, here we go. Screen adaptation or book, pick one. Uh, I would probably pick... I would always pick the book. I always pick the book. I always pick the book. I'm the writer. I always pick a book. I think the reason I pick a book the book this time is because of the level of like emotional intensity that there are in the pages Mm -hmm. that you you get you get the feeling of it when you watch the show but not like all of it and just the way that they talk to each other and like they are more irreverent i feel Mm. like something that i love about alice osman is she's not afraid to write teenagers who say fuck yeah which is perfectly appropriate we've all walked past teenagers we know they're saying (laughs) (laughs) so yeah i like i like their intent narrative and dialogue that you see in the novels Mm -hmm. i think yeah i think for me it would be the book and also i feel like with the book i am more likely to be able to give that to someone and say have a read of this or have a look at this where you know because especially with a graphic novel you only need to read or look at a couple of pages Mm. and you might actually find you quite like it and then you're Mm. reading a little bit more and then you've read it and it can take an hour of your time whereas i think that trying to convince someone oh you should watch heartstopper go and watch it and then be like oh you know it's undertaking watching a netflix series yeah you're so right and the other thing as well is the netflix series only covers not very much of the novels mm -hmm, yeah and so much of the later novels is about like people might watch the first season and be like oh it's very happy yeah and Mm -hmm. it's so funny that like when the first season came out there were loads of people on twitter just being like those of us who have read volumes three and four just like wide eyes waiting (laughs) for the like because there's a load to do with like mental health and eating disorders and things like that so it's really heavy and i am personally nervous as to how netflix will handle that okay yeah they're gonna um, make it too light again i don't know i 
I just I'm interested to see um, yeah. because Alice does such a good job of such a strong portrayal. Well, I think it's yes. it's great that Alice has kind of stayed on board with it. She's yeah. not mm-hmm. handed it over mm-hmm. to somebody else. She's you know remained as the creator and the writer and stuff. And obviously there are other people as producers and stuff on it, but the heart of it's still her and her work. So I feel like that's you can been, feel her influence. Yeah, you can feel her influence yeah. massively on 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 the show. And I and I love that it's you know it was was it number one on netflix at some point yeah um so it's you know that's that's huge Mm -hmm. um for a young queer story to be number one on netflix is amazing trending everywhere yeah exactly it's it's great and i think we're lucky because we've had some great predecessors to this moment yeah Um, i think the fact that we had it's a sin which was obviously so amazing and intense and so sad but really pushed boundaries forward that we had like sex education as well these shows really started laid groundwork for because they were one of them was very very angsty obviously Mm -hmm. yeah and sad and one of them was a bit of a mix yeah laid this groundwork for this space where we could have like a softer queer show yeah um, which is so so great i think what you were saying earlier emma about having that kind of well-rounded narrative for queer people you know like in it's a sin the thing it does really well is it explores the sorrow and the joy mm-hmm. equally yeah um and that's really well done and then like you were saying with sex education it's kind of a great mix of angst but then also Comedy. like yeah, yeah. Mm-hmm. and then um with heartstopper it's very wholesome and pure and lovely but it's also you know got its heavier moments and it tackles difficult themes and i think it's you know that's important that we are yeah. you know that these stories are well-rounded and not just as you were saying before where it was just you know gay characters were only being shown on screen when they were dying of aids mm. um you know we want to move away from that yeah and yeah. it's what we want for everybody right it's what yeah. we want for everybody who has experienced some kind of like minority oppression mm-hmm. we want like well-rounded stories for women we want well-rounded stories for black people we want well-rounded stories for queer people we yeah. want well-rounded stories for everybody because and that's who we are as human beings yes, <laughs> that reflects us best. yes yeah and and it hasn't always been that way and that's what we want moving forward absolutely okay so um just kind of jumping off what we just said emma yes as our chaotic bisexual guest in the house <laughs> <laughs> how do you feel the bisexual representation in Heartstopper differs from previous bisexual rap on screen. <laughs> oh my god! Okay, get the list. Here we go. The funniest thing that anyone's ever said. Anyway, um, there is just uh, I I suggest that you just think back in your mind through TV shows <laughs> and search and wonder for a strong, unproblematic bisexual representation. They are you and fucking far between. And whilst we're like talking, I think also we can say like pansexual representation in the same same way. But yeah, I mean in terms of like representation, it's just been it's just been weak, man. Mm-hmm. It's just been just been really weak I, I mean we can say that queer representation across the board has been weak but there have been some really really excellent shows about what it's like to be a gay man so uh there's so many we can think of but like even in you know the 90s which is kind of like the fallow era of queer tv you had will and grace which mm-hmm. was about two queer men and you know generally bisexual people have not had the most po- positive or bisexual or pansexual people have not had the most positive representation because we can often be uh, represented as just the slutty one right mm. it's just yeah. where it falls in as the one mm. who does everybody and does everything kind of like cruel intentions vibes if anybody <laughs> yeah. remembers that movie 
which is obviously an iconic queer awakening movie but <laughs> problematic in its own ways which is why it's so good to have a strong kind of message about bisexuality being so important i remember like being really young and there's an episode of sex in the city which is super problematic in terms of bisexuality where like carrie bradshaw says that she doesn't think that bisexuality is real she thinks it's just a layover on the way to gay town direct quote which you know and that kills me because we are both huge yeah sex and the city know, fans we, yeah. um, but it, it is problematic it is. you can't deny it yeah i grew up watching that show kind of sneaking when I shouldn't have been and you know <laughs> but I think it is uh, things like that kind of did hinder me as a queer person because mm. then it made me kind of think of like the part of me that was queer was a part of me that was just kind of not real in a sense yeah. you know it's a part of me that's kind of dismissive also the tropes of like girls just like making out with girls like there's a friends episode where rachel has this big confession that she kissed this other girl in college and it turns out the other girl has been thinking about her all this time so the message the messaging there is kind of fucked up because yeah. the messaging is sort of like girls kissing girls isn't really queer it doesn't matter you yeah know? yeah like and obviously we've all done stupid things when we're drunk but <laughs> that's beside the point that's a story for but another it's like time it's frivolous it's like it's it's thr- Throw away as opposed to you yep. know this woman spent her life pining over this yeah you know this one this, kiss this woman because um so i guess that's kind of my my feeling like what you said about bi representation mm-hmm. it, i hope it is getting better i think it is getting better bisexual and pansexual representation i hope it's getting better for everybody i hope it's i hope we have better trans representation you know pose is so great for trans representation like yeah. it's such a good tv show for that and bi representation as well repping little puppy from pose <laughs> but um Better and more is what we need. Better and more. How do you think Heartstopper would have been received if it was two girls rather than two boys? Do you I think there would have been a difference? I mean, it's really interesting you say that because there is another show coming out on Netflix, another queer show, which is two girls. Okay. And vampires. Wow. Oh. Yeah. Sold. And high, and high school age. And I cannot remember what it's called, which is really unhelpful. It might be First Bite. But yeah, baby gay vampires, basically. Baby gay vampires. Baby gay why is it not called that? Um, but it's not. It's better than baby gay vampires because it's a baby gay vampire and a baby va- baby gay vampire hunter. <gasps> oh yeah, Romeo and Juliet vibes. Wow. Um, so uh, yeah, I think they are like the, the spaces are opening up. I don't want to be like the woman who says that the men always go first, but mm. they often do. But at there. least, at least you know, it's a story about gay boys written by queer women. So exactly. That, yeah. 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 Ways things up a bit. Yeah. Um, and it's so hard to like pull it apart because you know this is like a coming of age gay men story and there have been many of those already so it's good that in a way that the foundation has led to this point and I hope it means that we will have more queer coming of age stories for people who aren't gay men Mm -hmm. and that would be really cool to see and hopefully that this new show will show more of that but if you think about like the heritage of the gay man coming of age story if you think about like Call Me By Your Name and Love Simon and things like this like it's it's been coming so what what we need is more ladies more trans people more numbers binary people yeah throw the doors open more intersex people more asexual people mm-hmm. just better representation yeah. on that basically i mean that would be really but nice, nice. Yeah. <laughs> um so on that how do you think people can be better allies especially when supporting queer artists and their work by their work <laughs> and oh, go on. no that's, that's uh, on, on, on that note uh, uh you've got a list have you not? Oh, yes, of books. Fire um, some, well, yeah, give us some reading recommendations okay. for our TBR piles. We're ready. 
so I uh, I kind of made a list last night because you know of like I've mentioned a few of these but these are people if you if you're listening to this and you love Heartstopper and you love YA then it's not really fair for me to come on and recommend things that you're not are not relevant to you mm -hmm. so I'm going to recommend some things which are like big YA loves big YA names and then you know you can kind of take from there but i also want to recommend some things which are like literary fit that yeah recommended all. yeah so for your heartstopper fans like we said already anything by dean atta is going to make you happy i think like it's just joyful it's blissful it's visually appealing it's really important aristotle and dante discover the secrets of the universe um is a great novel which is also like a, a queer boys of color coming of age story which is really important obviously yeah. in those communities um if you loved red white and Royal Blue by Casey McQuiston then try One Last Stop which is actually different and obviously Red, White and Bo Royal Blue is like an unexpected love story between two gay guys this is uh much more varied like has like trans characters and stuff that's really really cool and just like read more of alice's stuff i love solitaire it's so funny but i think the other heartstopper adjacent books like winter and nick and charlie are going to be the ones that people flock to yeah mm. um but the one that i like like to like put a thing out for is loveless which is kind of about asexuality which i think is just really powerful and we do need more it's not stories enough, it, on, yeah on um, screen and, and i think the how Having, having ace friends and reading ace stories the more like i learn about it um the, the more like i realize we have in our cultural understanding it's just so so minuscule mm -hmm. of what people think asexuality really is yeah. like asexual is not necessarily aromantic and people don't necessarily understand those things so i think those are really cool things that uh, you could be reading if you love heartstopper amazing i love them and i do have a list of books of like great queer reads okay let's <laughs> oh have them gosh please <laughs> yes right i mean so i pen. think some of these are coming up probably on your podcast but like mm -hmm. if you are a person who's like listening and you're like i want to read like the heritage of queer then the color purple yeah is like got to be on there uh oranges are not the only fruit call me by your name those like big books of the last 50 years or something which are excellent in more contemporary because i know we like contemporary books on this podcast <laughs> uh, i cannot go anywhere without recommending the song of achilles to literally everyone i meet my friend literally messaged me last night in capital letters just saying song of achilles it's just um, read it now <laughs> madeline miller is like she is a beautiful beautiful writer and she has such power in her skill and it's it's one of those books that i think probably is flawless so i kind of hate it a little bit wow yeah. well you've but, got to haven't you yeah. if it's if it's yeah. perfect but it's also one of the books that i read a pretty long time ago now actually but helped me come out to a lot of my friends around me so oh, okay. that's one of the reasons why it's at the top of my list uh tipping the velvet because it's kind of like a huge like queer awakening book uh, by sarah waters more recently you exist too much by zaina arafat is stunning which i think came out in 2020 is like being queer being a woman and being a person of color and religious communities mm. like it's it's so powerful and really cleverly written and i have a thing for narrators who i'm like who are not necessarily good do you know what i mean like yeah. a narrator where you're like actually i think like if i met you i would think you were a dick in real life yeah i don't think you're a good person yeah but they make really compelling stories and anything by kirsty logan anything by daisy johnson anything by bridget collins and in honor of hannah the book that i finished this morning our wives under the sea by julia arnfeld uh -oh. 
Lydia is potentially a bigger fan than I am. Yeah. I mean, I adored it, but Lydia went off yeah. and bought her short story collection, Salt Slow, and immediately inhaled that. I, mean, so. I, I just adore everything she does. Yeah. <laughs> I think something that I really like about that book is it's like, it is a queer horror, and yeah. um, I think that's really, really fun. And that's what we want with like literature moving forward is that it's just not like, we don't just want queer romances. We don't just want like queer literary fiction. We want queer everywhere. Yeah, and like, that's the whole point. It's a horror story. Yeah. And that's what it's about. It's not about the fact that they're both women. No. Which I love. Yeah. I yeah. really love that because that hopefully in years to come, that will be where we are. Yeah. yeah. This, these are the stories we will read. Mm-hmm. But it's lovely to see that now. Yeah. yeah. And seeing that, that kind of, that writing happening. Yeah. Did we have any questions? Oh, yes. We did have one question from, um, Gabby at Humphreys and she has asked us what's been on your TBR the longest Emma what do you want book? to start with that <laughs> <laughs> what's been on your, your TBR, TBR the longest because I've seen Emma's bookshelves <laughs> and I don't know who's are more jam-packed mine or Emma's potentially Emma's because her and her husband are both big readers <laughs> also can we just talk about john for a second and how fast he can read books yeah yeah he, my husband has a ridiculously high speed reading capability he's planning we're going away next weekend and we have a nine hour flight to seattle and he's planning to read all of to paradise whilst on that flight oh my god and he will it's be three he weeks will. he will and he, he will. will he will <laughs> he will and i want full updates from John, oh, yes, as soon must, as you land, you must yeah. know what you think. John, I don't care how tired you are after that flight. I need to know what we you need, think of Paradise. We need a summary. <laughs> I'm trying to think what's been on my TBR longest, and it's probably something that I like, one of those like classics mm-hmm. that you're like, I should have read this, mm. and I have not read. Probably one that I should have read because John has like done a lot of work around these kind of topics. My right. husband, he's a, he writes about horror and gothic fiction, and I have never read The Turn of the Screw. Um, so you're in his bad books. <laughs> I think he knows. I think he knows. But yeah, that's basically, that's probably been on my. Oh, we've been together about fifteen years, so it's probably on my list for about fourteen years. So that's probably the longest. It's yeah. becoming a problem now. Yeah. Now it's a problem. The issues. Lydia, there. what's been on your list longest? I was trying to think of this. Um, I've done quite well at getting rid of some of my backlist books and kind of going back and being like, that's been there too long, I'm going to read mm. that. But I think I've noticed today that I still haven't read Ghosts by Dolly Alderton. What? I know. It's been... I've not read it. So just to give you some support. Sorry, how Thank are you, you both my friends when you've yeah. not read Dolly Alderton's novel? I know. debut novel. You know this about me. Yeah, it's know. just it been sad. sat there. It's so pretty as well. But I, because I've been... Um, watching her series and things I was like oh I'm sure I've got a book <laughs> and I was like oh shit yeah, I get did. on it <laughs> So I think that's been on there a good while. I don't know how long, but longer than I care to admit. I've probably got more than that as well, but... Uh, absolutely, I've seen your um, shelves and your book trolleys as well. They're overflowing. I, I mean, we piles. we bought a house to contain our TBR yeah. pile and it has done nothing. That's my next step. <laughs> I'm just about to convince me of the half. <laughs> what about you? What's on yours? I thought I was going out with that then. No, the one, I think, the longest on mine is Manchester Happened by Jennifer Nansabuga McCormick. Yeah. That has been on my TBR the longest. My friend Hannah bought that for me. Um, potentially January 
last year, I want to say. So that's not too bad in terms no. of TBR. Yours is like years long. I, know. I mean, 14, <laughs> yeah, it could be 14 years. Yeah, I know. I'm but so you did have me thinking about the fact that I've not read The Colour Purple, which oh, is a crime. Yeah, I haven't got is. it and I haven't oh, read it. No, I've got I've, it. Okay. We've both got yeah, it. We'll both right, give okay. you a coffee. <laughs> that's going to get launched on my head very shortly. Yeah. Like when you think about when it was written and like the 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 way it's where it's set in like history yeah um and like the the role of kind of like racism and and the world and female oppression like it's it's so much yeah. to then also be queer mm-hmm. yeah you're like mm. wow you were going for it with yeah. your guns blazing you've yeah. got like horrible relationships you've got sexual oppression you've got rape you've got dreadful mm. things and you've also got this but it somehow still manages to be uplifting I, yeah she's yeah. a magician um i was just thinking that like something that is quite powerful like from a bisexual point of view is like the representation of like exactly how it feels to realize like you're bisexual mm-hmm. um mm-hmm. and how like sometimes you kind of think uh, the, the way that nick goes back and forth and is confused because he does still have feelings for women like yeah. he's still attracted to women like oh my god no i do i do have to talk about the amazing <laughs> moment in the tv show when they're watching pirates of the caribbean oh my goodness <laughs> yes yes that is almost like completely identical to most people of my generation watching the mummy <laughs> Yes. <laughs> because, oh my goodness, like amazing male lead and an amazing female lead. You're just like, one or the other. And you're like, I'll have both. both. And? <laughs> what about and? You know, um, and that's just, that. I think for a lot of bisexual people, pansexual people, that's how it kind of emerges. Yeah. Is yeah. you're suddenly like, oh, but not one, but two. Yeah. <laughs> So I I just loved that moment, um, and I also loved his conversation with <laughs> with his oh my goodness her name like completely escapes me Tara yeah yeah, yeah. Tara where he kind of just basically asks her like because he's like I did enjoy kissing you and you're like oh Nick um, <laughs> you know him, him kind of like processing that out trying to make sure if the kind of feelings that he has for girls will go away you know that's yeah, kind of yeah. what he's asking is he's wanting to know from like somebody who is certifiably gay yeah if they never feel anything yeah and yeah. i think for a lot of bisexual people that's and for pansexual people that's kind of how sometimes it works is that you yeah. you, you fancy everybody yeah and you don't know if you're just horny <laughs> or if you're genuinely something yeah. different and yeah you, those questions i love tara's certainty when she responded to him mm. and he was kind of like did you and she's like no, no. Yeah. i'm definitely gay yeah <laughs> i'm and- kissing you you made me realize it and i just thought you know because that does highlight that difference that she yeah. has this certainty about you know what i definitely 100 do not like men yeah and then he's kind he of has like, the realization well that actually i don't well, have I that did like mm-hmm. that kiss with you but then i also yeah really like charlie, really like charlie. Yeah. so then yeah. he's like oh okay so yeah you were certain from that yeah. that you were gay but I like both. It's a really so important So what does moment. that mean for yeah. me? Yeah. And I think something that's powerful in that moment is that Tara really, they, Tara, Tara and Darcy really claim the word lesbian, which is really powerful in this story, which is so beautifully broadly queer mm-hmm. because unfortunately like in the community there have been connections between like lesbianism and like transphobia and things like that and that's not those are instances right that's not a pattern mm-hmm, that's mm-hmm. not i don't want to say it's a pattern because i feel like that's unfair to to all of my wonderful lesbian people in my life who are not at all transphobic but unfortunately with the 
the rise of like certain women's movements against transphobic people certain other people have been kind of like attached to those things and that's just that's really sad and devastating mm. for anybody in the community and the feeling that some people in the community feel threatened by other people in the community is always really sad mm -hmm. and it's always hard you know and it's something that i have experienced like as like biphobia is something that's experienced inside the gay, inside the lgbt community yeah. as well as outside it so it's just really great that in like a show where you have charlie who's gay you have nick who's bi you have um you have l who's trans you have tara and darcy who are lesbians and you have so much and it's mm -hmm. just all there and it's coexisting yeah in like a friendly loving way and what i love is that it be. doesn't feel like a box ticking exercise it doesn't feel like these people are here just to be here no. they, they earn their place there and it's yeah. so it's so good to see that that these are just people and these happen to be their sexualities the, the thing is as well is it's, i always find it really weird when people often I won't say always but often straight people kind of go but why why are there so many queer people it's unrealistic mm. I'm like you have not been to enough queer parties like <laughs> we find like we find each other there's a reason we all hang out together yeah you know? like we there, there's it makes us it makes you feel safe like yeah, of you course, know yeah. I remember when I was at uni like I had a group of friends we were all always together mm -hmm. and it wasn't until like 10 years down the line 90% of us have come out yeah. you know yeah. Yeah. And like a lot of us hadn't, only maybe two of us had come out at that point in time mm -hmm. when we were at university. Yeah. But still, we kind of like we found each other. We, yeah. We, we queer people will always find other queer people. You, yeah. It's and that's what their community represents to me is yeah. that drawing together of kids who sometimes are cast out, maybe felt like a bit misfit. Like you find each other, and then you're like we build a safe space for ourselves, and that's what they're doing is they're building their safe space, and mm -hmm. that's really beautiful to see. So that concludes our conversation on Heartstopper uh, which is available in all good bookstores I would also just like to recommend an amazing queer bookshop in Manchester called Queer Lit if you're wanting to buy Heartstopper definitely go visit them it's a beautiful small store in Northern Quarter mm. and uh, there's, an there's an amazing kind of array of recommendations in there that are gay sapphic they've queer. got everything they've got everything they're great. it's they're all so in there also, and there's a great mix of non-fiction and fiction in there yeah. as well which is important um so lastly on the podcast um let's quickly give because uh, i'm aware of time <laughs> let's quickly <laughs> give our recommendations so lydia what have you been enjoying recently uh harry styles <laughs> Sorry. Short keeps sweet. Just Harry Styles. The album on repeat. Amazing. The Amazing. song Boyfriend yeah. makes me cry. Um, <laughs> and yeah, basically it makes me want to be sipping a margarita uh, in the sun. Yeah. With a book, with that playing on the, in the background. Nice. Emma. <laughs> um, Kate Bush is back in the charts. Living for that. Love that. Just saying that. Can I just say, like, to originally, thank you, everybody, straight to your things, fans. Yeah. But still, no matter how she <laughs> Younger gets generations. there. Younger generations. <laughs> no matter how she gets there, she's a queen for being up there. I'm so just bitter. I'm loving it. Loving <laughs> Amazing. that. Amazing. Also, Looking is a fantastic TV show. American TV show with Jonathan Groff and Russell Tovian. Oh, okay. It's about uh, gay relationships and it is one of the best, it's a HBO series. It's one of the best gay representative TV shows I've watched in a long time. Yeah. Emma, did you have uh, 
Yeah, I can give you queer TV on Netflix. Let's go. For oh it. yes, please. Atypical. It's adorable. Teenagers being baby gays. AJ and the Queen. If you want to see like every member of RuPaul's Drag Race just suddenly appear in a sitcom as a drag queen performing, <laughs> like, that's what you need. My husband would tell me to recommend American Horror Story. Okay. Uh, for uh, particularly like 2011 till now for the for the queers. Brooklyn Nine Nine, obviously. Mm-hmm. Rosa Diaz, Captain Holt. We salute you. Rosa Diaz, classic bisexual. We salute you too. Um, <laughs> Chilling Adventures of Sabrina, which is just does a great job of being like this is about horror and gore and madness and witchcraft, but everybody is under the level casually gay, which is just nice. kind of. Why do you feel like that's just my show? <laughs> yeah, that's <laughs> you led. Did it mean yeah. that? And yeah, classic Grace and Frankie. Can't get away from Grace and Frankie. I've uh, not watched that yet. No, for I, those, I it's just really funny. It's just really, really <laughs> funny. For those of you who love a bit of horror, The Haunting of Blind Manor. Ew. Which is <laughs> queer and creepy. Queer and creepy. Litter, that's creepy. You salt. Yeah. Yeah. Uh, yeah, I think that's a part. It's a Sin is now on Netflix, which is yes, really, which is really amazing. Good. If you're not watching it now yeah. that we've mentioned it 60,000 times, guys, come on. Um, there's also like the classics, which people sometimes like overlook because they've been around for so long. But like, you got your Queer Eye, you've got your Orange is the New Black. Yeah, yes. like love oh, that. I loved that show. Doing, like for a lot of people, see, mine and cool. Lydia's final show at uni <laughs> was actually uh, Richard the Second with the concept of Orange is the New Black. Okay. So it was Richard the Second, which is meant to be like a pretty male heavy cast yeah yeah flipped and uh made a all-female cast set in a female prison that's crazy um that was really good fun yeah. to work uh, on for for your for your humor bods who like the teen drama sex education yes for those of you who like excellent queer relationships but also a bit of magic shadow hunters for those of you who just love anything to do with like 90 80s 90s culture pose like i cannot recommend pose enough i recommend pose to everybody not only is it about amazing trans stories it is like made by queer people starring queer people for queer people but also for everyone so yeah those are my those are my cultural queer flying that flag high (laughs) yeah so many which is really good. Yeah. It's really good to have. Great that, that they're on, on mainstream like platforms yeah, as well. Exactly. Mm-hmm. Exactly. Very accessible. Important. Hannah, what's your recommendation? Uh, well, obviously, I wanted to mention Everything I Know About Love, oh, uh, Dolly's yeah. adaptation, um, because that was amazing. That isn't relevant to Pride Month, but as we've <laughs> been speaking about it in previous episodes, I wanted to just drop in that yeah, I've watched that recently. We are watching it. <laughs> and uh, we've not watched the final episode yet, but it's amazing. And I love it so, so much. And you can definitely see Dolly Alderson's influence on it. And it's just really great fun and all about female friendship and uh, makes you feel all kinds of nostalgia um, for kind of 2010s living, outfits, music, all of it. It's it's amazing. But my Pride Month recommendation would be the book Rainbow Milk by Paul Mendes. It's amazing. It's about being a black gay man in a Jehovah's Witness community and um, in modern day Britain. And it is just a really phenomenal book. It's also his debut novel, which is just insane. 
um, it's semi-autobiographical but it is just so well written and just so brilliant so I would absolutely recommend that and I'm sure you would as well wouldn't you Liz? I would I, I did I, I thoroughly enjoyed it it was brilliant yeah it's great and on that note that is all we've got time for today thank you so much to my incredible chaotic bisexual wonderful woman of many talents friend Emma Hines thank you for having me we it's really fun it. yeah we hope you've enjoyed our conversation on Heartstopper and all of our Pride Month recommendations um, we will obviously be leaving links to those in the show notes as usual um, if you aren't already please do subscribe to our podcast and please do rate and review us as it helps to boost us in the charts and if you aren't already following us we uh, you can follow us on at a pair of bookends pod um, Emma where can we find you in your work uh, on Instagram at ELPH Reads R E A D S and on Twitter at Emma Louise PH and yeah and also on Patreon which will be on Patreon because you should be supporting which is Emma if you look (laughs) if you go on Patreon you should be able to search Emma Louise Writes and you'll be able to find me but links to my Patreon are on my Instagram Um, and they will be in the show notes and you can find you can find me around I'm around I'm up for a good chat (laughs) I love it thank you so much for listening bye bye bye